At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On the show today, we will discuss Christian nationalism. Should we be for it or should we be against it? Should we recognize this is all nonsensical and not care about it? So we'll also discuss a few stories from the news. And no, we aren't going to make this whole episode about Donald Trump like everyone else. So we have a lot to discuss. Let's get to it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, and this is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are very grateful that you're joining us today. If you're new here, uh, as we always say, don't let the name fool you. We fancy ourselves as Christians and very religious folks, uh, but the world and especially the country that we live in is not. And uh, it's becoming very secular, very religionless, you could say. And that, at least in part, is where we get our name from. So, we're going to do today what we try to do every Saturday, and that's just look at the news and the world around us and try to help Christians make sense of it all and figure out how to keep our eyes on Christ in the midst of this, you know, chaotic environment that we find ourselves in. So we do have some good stories to discuss today. Mostly we're going to be focused on this Christian nationalism topic, hopefully for the last time, uh, but we do think it's important to mm -hmm. discuss but before we get to all the news, any of the Bible topics, honey, is there anything you would like to say, prayer request, anything of that sort? I just thank God we had a safe trip, um, California and back. We only had to really sit in traffic the last hour of our trip, turn into two hours. I mean, I guess it was because of an accident. At least that's what Google Maps, you know. So they say says. there was no evidence of an accident when we got there. But, but I'm always just, you know, when you think it's an accident, just thankful it's not you and waiting in traffic is is fine, you know. And just well, pray and we're for those. Foolish because <laughs> in our, you know, infinite wisdom, we're like, oh well, there's an off-ramp right here. We can take this other way around and you know, it'll be half an hour quicker. We won't have to sit in traffic. So of course we get off the highway, go, you know, 10, 15 minutes down the road to realize, nope, that's like an Indian trail road that they're not going to let you drive on. So we just turned around and got right back in traffic. A lot Lost of other about people 30 minutes. were doing the same thing. I thought something's great. up when there's traffic coming, you know, towards us as we're going, you know, where they're coming from. And I'm like, Oh, I bet they turned around. We can't keep going. So in our yeah. delirium, we made a terrible decision, extended <laughs> the, the length of our trip. But otherwise, the trip was great. Kids even yes. enjoyed it by and large, the sights that we saw, which was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, you know, we went out there to see John MacArthur preach. And that was really cool. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. We got to go and watch him, you know, preach. We were in the, the sanctuary with him. But then, you know, we come back on we're back home and on our Wednesday night, like Bible study, 
we're walking through this fundamentals of the faith book and they normally will, you know, have you listen to a sermon of the week that's on the same topic. And it was a John MacArthur sermon from must have been years and years ago. So you're hearing this young John MacArthur yeah. who's like fiery and loud and, you know, getting animated. But then, you know, you see him in person as the old man and like the fire just isn't there anymore. You know, still preaching, the, you know, the word of God. But yeah. it's just interesting in the same week to see and listen to a very, you know, different John MacArthur, uh, which was kind of cool. So that was a good time. Yeah. We were blessed. Found a book I'd been looking for. A Bible I tried to buy previously, and it never made it here for whatever reason. I was able to buy it there, so that was nice. But um, yeah, that's a praise report. It was a good trip. And I just have a prayer request that probably should have been in the news, but we just didn't have time to really delve into the story. I saw it just today, like on my way home from work, and I thought, oh, we need to talk about that at least briefly. Maybe we'll discuss it more in a later episode. We'll see what the world throws at us. But do you want to read this headline, honey, in this paragraph? Trans minors protected from parents under Washington law. Yep. And then just read yeah. this short paragraph here. Licensed shelters and host homes in Washington had generally been required to notify parents within 72 hours when a minor came into their care. Under the new law, facilities can instead contact the State Department of Children, Youth, and Families, which could then attempt to reunify the family if feasible. Youths will also be allowed to stay at host homes, private volunteer homes that temporarily house young people without parental permission. Yeah, nothing sounds less safe in our perverse and sexually immoral culture than Volunteer homes that'll help house, you know, sexually confused young children without their parents' knowledge oh or consent. Oh my gosh. Uh, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. But the reason I wanted to bring this up as a prayer request is just please pray for really the people in Washington, and I would consider more the Christians in Washington, that they'd stand up, you know, and peaceably or peaceably, but vocally demand change on this and also pray that their governor jay inslee would be removed from office um, i think that's a prayer we should be praying and pray also for the children there that i mean they're going to have their lives ruined by this godless government you know these politicians that seem so willing to sacrifice the lives of these kids for their own political gain it's just it's terrible you know it's you want to do something but what can you do from this far away besides pray and you know, try to reach out and make your voice known however you can. But if you're in the area, please don't sit on your hands. Get up and do something about this. And, you know, if you're in Washington, or really, I'd say any of these Democrat-run states, because it lists a few other states in this article, yeah. like California, our state, New Mexico, you know, I would encourage you to get out of those states. Move to a state that cares for your children a state that respects the parents' role in their children's lives, which is a bizarre thing to have to say, that the government would actually recognize the parents' role in raising their own children. I think this is going to go further than just gender-affirming. Um, kids are going to run to these these private homes for any reason. They could just oh, make yeah. up whatever. If they're not notifying the parents right away, Kid can be making up any story he wants. 
Well, and I'm sure, I mean, from the nefarious side of things, since the Democrat Party and these politicians serve their father, Satan, by and large, yeah, whatever you can do to break up the nuclear family, pit parents against children, I mean, that's the foundation, the bedrock of human uh, civilization is the nuclear family. So whatever mm-hmm. you can do to ruin God's design. It's uh, protecting that, the kids from the parents is what they say. Like, what are the parents doing that's yeah, harmful? Yeah, protecting them because they care about their kids and they know them better than Jay Inslee. But Jay Inslee is going to protect your kid who he's never met, has no idea about the intricacies of his life and the problems he's dealing with. But he's going to protect them from those parents. Teaching kids that they know better than their parents. Gosh. And, you know, I don't think that this is a far-fetched idea to even assume, like you said, this is going to go further, that they would just come and take your kids away from you Oh yeah. in the near future. Not so much that a kid needs to get away. You know, your kid may, pr- you know, report something at school and they just go, you can't have your kid anymore. You know, you're not affirming enough. You're trying to that do that wicked conversion therapy where you actually tell them they're made in the image of God and exactly as God designed them. They're just going to take your kid from you. Something's got to really be wrong at home for the kids to actually jump on board with this, you know, to actually consider it. I mean, well, obviously kids that are giving into transgender ideology are already have mental health issues. So it's not crazy to think a kid that has a mental health issue would be led into a bad decision you know, and kids are naturally prone to that, right? I mean, how many young kids have ran away from home for an afternoon or whatever? You know, it's like every young kid does that. They're mad at their parents. I'm running away, you know, and but now you got the entire government of Washington State, California, New York, you know, they'll take it a step further. You don't like it? Tell them and they'll go and arrest your parents. And Who's providing the care for the kids, like the bills, the grocery bill? Oh, the parents who had their kids taken from them by They're the tax send dollars, them a bill? of course. Oh. Right? You're going to pay for the government to take your kid away from you. This is <laughs> godless, satanic communism, you know? Yeah. But just pray. I mean, what else can we do from this far away? Pray, make your voice known. If you live in the state, consider moving out. You know, because these politicians, the Jay Inslees of the world, they're advocating for wickedness. And you need to protect your children. And you need to protect your family. And You know, you can sit around on your hands and wait till it's too late and then, you know, shake your fist at God or you can be proactive about it. And I know that that's not the case for everybody, uh, but at least get up, make your voice heard, be vocal, get out there. Again, Christians don't riot, but that doesn't mean you have to sit quietly on your hands and do nothing. So and for the love of all things that are holy, quit voting for godless, satanic politicians that hate you and everything you stand for. You know, because at some point, you know, part of you just wants to say, well, you made your bed, so lay in it. Right. And I know that's not a godly position to hold. So forgive me. I'm trying not to hold that position. Um, but I mean, there are things you can do. So do them. You know, don't just sit around and then be angry that some politician took your kid from you because that's what they want to do. They hate you. So there you go. That's my prayer request. Pray for Washington, pray for the parents, pray that the Christians get active. And that Jay Inslee, like Gavin Newsom, like our governor, uh, Michelle Grisham, they all get removed from office and godly and righteous men and women take their place. So that was nice. Let's get our plugs out of the way here before we get into the real news. That was just a precursor to the news. 
the appetizer of a new <laughs> story. So um, you guys know that we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. We got about 60 or so good Christian podcasts on there talking about everything from movie reviews to, you know, student ministry. We're on there, happy to be on there. So whatever podcasting platform you're on, go search out Christian Podcast Community. Um, you can even find a lot of their stuff like Andrew Rappaport and the Theology Throwdown, uh, Apologetics Live and stuff like that on YouTube as well. Go find those, subscribe to them. I think you'd be pleased with what you get. Then, uh, of course, you guys know we are big fans of Team Cardinal. Part of what Team Cardinal does at Cardinal Contingency Solutions, travel risk management. We kind of talk about this a lot in the realm of Christian missionaries, you know, church organizations that are going really outside the borders of this country where places can get a little bit hairy at times. You know, we've talked on here stories about Panama collapses, missionaries in prison in African nations. Um, there's stuff that you can do to prepare yourselves for the unthinkable. You know, maybe in the back of your mind, you know these stories, but it's hard to really conceive that I'm going to be the one that gets thrown into a Nigerian prison, you know, or I'm the one that gets kidnapped in Haiti and gets thrown in prison for two years. But it happens and it happens routinely. You don't have to go completely unprepared. There are organizations like Cardinal that can help prepare you to make sure that you have a plan, keep yourself out of trouble, um, you know, to avoid trouble altogether, which is the best possibility, how to de-escalate if you find yourself in a troubling situation. Then ultimately, if you wind up getting yourself, you know, in prison, how do you deal with that situation? There's training for all of these sort of situations. You can get that from Cardinal. They're the best in the world at it. So reach out to them. They'll be in the show notes. And uh, I think you'd be blessed by what you find there. And then the last one, the shameless plug. If you guys want to help the podcast in any way, uh, I mean, obviously the easiest, cheapest thing you can do, drop a like. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. If you're on the podcast, subscribe, follow, whatever it happens to ask you to do. And then consider leaving a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts or something, five-star review would be uh, free, not very time-consuming, but it would help us out as well. And then also, if you got an extra few bucks to throw around, we have some affiliate links down in the show notes, christianbooks.com, Best Buy, I think Amazon. Then we have like buymeacoffee.com and stuff like that. If you just want to help support the show, helps us purchase the things that we need like microphones. I just bought me and Nikki, you know, brand new microphones, not inexpensive microphones and plugged them in. Came up here to start the podcast and one of the microphones didn't work. Brand new microphone didn't work. So if you don't like the audio a ton on this episode, it's because we're using the trusty old Blue Yeti X. Should always have a Blue Yeti on hand. They're trustworthy. They're built well. You know, they're always clutch when you need it. So uh, we appreciate the Blue Yeti, but... Yeah, we do need to get new microphones, you know, and uh, all of that helps. So, and I also, you know, speaking of Christian books, I bought this on Christian books. It's a handbook for praying scripture. Uh, it put out, I think it's fairly new, but it's a really cool book if 
you know, you feel like maybe your prayer life's gotten stagnant or maybe you're just in a rut or maybe you just really enjoy uh, praying and you're smart about prayer and you want it to be structured and biblical. (laughs) You know, this handbook for prayer, I think it's only 15 bucks. I'll have a link down in the show notes, but it's great because it's not just like prayers that a person thought up and wrote down, you know, like Sarah Mm -hmm. Young's, you know, Jesus calling, you know, kind of prayers. It's just scripture, you know, Mm -hmm. it's Psalms and, you know, apostles prayers and different things like that. But it's built in a structured way where there's 31 days, you know, it walks you through the different, you know, steps of what a prayer life should look like. So it's really cool. Got it from Christian books. Uh, So if you want to get one for yourself or really anything, a necklace, a jar of peanut butter on Amazon, consider using the link. It would help us out. So that's enough of the plugs. It's time for the music. Time for the music. It's definitely warranted this week. Uh, So prepare yourself, gird up your loins and steal up your soul and uh, take some ibuprofen. We get ready to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death. Take a look at the news of the week. So uh, just a few kind of wave top news stories here. I'm sure, you know, if you're paying attention, you saw that King Charles was coronated uh, this week in England. Um, We didn't actually see it, but there it is. You know, for some reason, he's been king for like two or three months. Now, I don't know how long it was ago when Queen Elizabeth died. A few months. I guess when you're a royal, there's always time for a party and for more people to lavish you with unnecessary praise so he wanted to push it off a few months so he could be lavish with praise when she died and he became king and now just for the heck of it i guess we also saw our uh republican front runner donald trump be uh found liable for sexually abusing this lady named e Jean carroll and defaming her and ordering to pay five million dollars we saw that this week And then we also learned that Congress has documentation that our current president was exchanging policy outcomes for money with foreign governments while he was vice president under Barack Obama. So aren't we lucky in America to be led by such honorable and righteous people? You know, how could God not pour out his blessings on us, on this wonderful nation? And just for me, I mean, briefly, as far as King Charles goes, like there's just something about me. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. Something about me that just finds the idea of kings and queens repulsive. Uh, just like the very notion of royal families just really puts me off. So I can't mm-hmm. bring myself to watch like King Charles, who was born into a lavish life of royalty through no no part on it. You know, He did nothing for it. Just, well, let's just throw another party and lavish more praise on the man and, you know, exalt him even higher. You know, it's just the very notion kind of repulses me. And as I was thinking about it, really, as far as all of that royal family goes, Kate is really the only one that I find redeeming in any way at all, because she at least did something to earn her place. She got William to fall in love with her. (laughs) She found a prince and convinced him to marry her. So Prince William did nothing to become a prince. King Charles did nothing to become a king. 
at least Kate Middleton did something, you know, so kudos to her. <laughs> you know, now she gets to be princess. Or I don't know what she ever becomes. Maybe she's a queen someday. Who knows? But I don't, know. I don't care too much for King Charles. And then just on the idea of, do you have anything on King Charles? Kate Middleton? No. <laughs> did you ever desire to marry a prince when you were a girl? Nope. No. All the Disney cartoons wanted you to marry a prince. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, never a thing for me. But in regards to Trump and Biden, it just astonishes me that in a nation of 330 million people, like these are the people in line to run our nation. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. And, you know, it does help the cause, I think, personally, not putting your faith in man. You know, this having leaders like this does sort of help you not put your faith in men, you know, but True. trusting in the Lord. Uh, but good gracious, America, like. And I'm a fan generally of Donald Trump's presidency. I think by and large, he personally is not a guy you can really get behind, but I think he led the country well outside mm -hmm. of COVID. I think that really the wheels fell off there. Personally, not a great dude, um, but there's no one better. <laughs> you know, there's not a person whose, you know, personal life and moral standing isn't completely corrupt and right. foundationless. And then the Biden family with all of their problems, like there's nobody. I'm not even talking about Democrat or Republican, either side of the house, <laughs> of the aisle. There's nobody. It just blows my mind. So let us pray for wisdom. Uh, let us pray for discernment and let us also pray that righteous men and women, again, uh, would rise up to lead this nation uh, yeah. because what we currently have is really difficult to root for. And we're supposed to pray for our leaders. You know, that's something we're called to do. And it would be nice to have leaders that are easy to pray for. I mean, that God can raise up a leader for our country. We can pray for that. Yeah, and we should pray for that. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, so it doesn't mean that we can't simultaneously pray that you know they would do the right thing and lead yes. this nation of righteousness and also pray that they would be removed and godly men and women <laughs> would take their place we can yeah. pray for both of those things we serve a god who is big and more than capable but also it's in his hands so we do have to trust you know at, at some point you have to trust and not just you know shake your fist at god about how things mm -hmm. have turned out he's still in control still sovereign but doggone it It'd be nice to have somebody worth rooting for. I so. know. <laughs> We're just rooting for God. I mean, God allows it. And so we will just call upon him. Let's us be in a desperate situation. That's kind of yeah. how it's always gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And it's increasingly going that way. So, um, but that's, you know, the politics part of this. So the one story I wanted to speak about uh, from the news kind of as a cautionary tale and a learning lesson is something maybe that you can teach your daughters. If you have daughters, we have two daughters. So it's something we are very concerned about. Um, but it's really, you know, a lesson about the perils of this culture for young women. Mm -hmm. So Angel Reese, um, not sure if anybody out there has ever heard of that name. Had you ever heard of Angel Reese to this point? No. Well, it shouldn't be surprising. You shouldn't be familiar with Angel Reese's name because she plays basketball for LSU's women's basketball team. Why would you know who she is? Uh, but 
LSU won the Women's National Championship this year. And I believe Angel Reese, I think she won most outstanding player of the championship game. So not a bad basketball player by any stretch. Um, but that is not why she is known. That's not why her name is known. And this is really the cautionary tale. So Angel Reese, um, she sort of gained her fame for what she did during the national championship game. Uh, there's a really the superstar in that game was this young woman from Iowa named Caitlin Clark, I believe is her name. And Angel Reese sort of caught social media fire because at the end of the game, when LSU was beating them, she sort of taunted Caitlin Clark with a taunt that Caitlin Clark had done previously. So kind of rubbing it in Caitlin Clark's face. That's kind of what caught everyone's attention. So this sort of taunting was far more impactful for Angel Reese than her basketball playing ability. Um, now, for me personally, I am definitely not against trash talking in sports. I think it's a vital part of sports, as long as it doesn't go too far. And I do have some rules for trash talking, uh, if anybody cares. I would say the first one is, if you wait until you're winning to trash talk, you're a chump. Uh, if you're going to trash talk, you need to do it early, you need to do it often, and you need to do it win or lose. That's the only way trash talk is effective. Um, if, if you say nothing until the game's sealed and you've won, then that just shows you really didn't have confidence you could win. And nobody wants a, you know, a trash talker with no self-confidence. So uh, there's my rule for trash talking. But keep it classy, right? Don't be, you know, maybe you could throw out some old school your mama jokes. I think those are harmless, but, uh, you know, don't make it too personal. Anyways, that's not what I'm trying to talk Isn't about. Isn't that here. personal? <laughs> yeah, but they're funny, right? Like your mama wears combat boots kind of thing. Those are harmless okay. and funny. Because um, then you always have the simple retort, especially if someone doesn't know you of like, hey, man, my mom's dead. And they're like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. You're like, no, I'm just kidding, man. Right. So you have some, some <laughs> friendly back and forth. So. Um, but anyways, again, I'm not against trash talking, though her sort of taunting, um, widely considered in the media to be kind of classless, is what most people kind of said about her and sort of the mainstream news media. You know, so Angel Reese, uh, let me see if I can get her picture up here for anybody that wants to see Angel Reese. There she is. Um, she got her notoriety on social media after this, you know, kind of widely considered classless act. And then she, of course, leaned into the narrative. You know, she even went on social media and stuff to kind of play a bit of the race card. She made herself kind of a victim, you know, which again, played very well for her on social media. And then just recently, um, you know, building on her newfound fame, she accepted an offer to pose for Sports Illustrated uh, their swimsuit edition. So that's what this article here is talking about. So here is the cautionary tale. Uh, and I think what we need to be teaching our daughters about and really steering them away from, you know, social media is kind of like built to promote young people doing dumb things. And then once these kids sort of get that dopamine hit of the social media recognition, it really just encourages them to double down on what got them noticed, mm -hmm. you know? And so Angel Reese, right? Taunting, victimhood, and it got her noticed. Uh, I saw this article here. 
And I think it said, you know, at the time of the national championship game, she had 70,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, according to this article, she had 420,000 at the time this was written. I went and looked at her Instagram. She has 1.4 million followers now. So she's blown up as far as social media credit has gone. And, you know, blown up for, again, things that I would not want my daughter to blow up for. Taunting, yeah. classless sort of taunting victimhood race baiting kind of things that's sad that's just what society enjoys yeah i mean that's what they look for right because dumb sells on social media she leaned into that with the taunting sort of stuff uh, victimhood race baiting works well on social media she's leaned into that and now posing for sports illustrated swimsuit edition because sex sells on social media right so she's leaning into because she's not an unattractive girl uh, I mean, everyone has their own, you know, whatever flavor of what they like, but I would assume most people don't think she's unattractive. So sex sells and she's leaning into that. And then to make matters worse, you know, when you go on her Twitter page, she has references to like her faith in God, you know, talking about how God has blessed her greatly and all these sort of, you know, it seems like a shallow faith to me, if it's any real faith at all. Right. So this mm -hmm. young woman, she's probably 19 or 20, you know, she's sort of a victim now of this kind of prideful, self-idolizing culture mm -hmm. that unless somebody gets a hold of her, like really quickly and really forcefully, uh, her faith, if she really has any, is going to falter, it's mm -hmm. going to fail, yeah. and she'll wind up just being a useful tool for this, you know, sort of evil spirit of the age that we find ourselves in that so many other young women fall into and they just lead other women into these lives of sinfulness i mean how many other yeah. women are going this route of well you know i can make money showing my body off on social media for the world to see and then somehow claim god has blessed you by all the sinfulness that you're reaping monetary rewards right. for because even those who you know have faith and follow her, they're looking to her for how to walk in the faith. Right. Because she's being idolized. And this is, you know, how you find people that, you know, I mean, how many, if you're on any sort of social media, people that'll, you know, it's getting to be spring and summertime, right? So the modesty arguments are coming out. And how many people that'll make the case that somehow what Angel Reese is doing isn't immodest. You know, God has, you know, it's, men's fault if they look on these women lustfully and all these sorts of things right and she's going to be teaching other girls to walk this same route so this is the cautionary tale like you can see the way that this sort of just entraps people the social media fandom you know most people aren't gaining social media cred because they're thoughtful intellectuals or you know god-fearing people like you're getting social media notoriety because you do something stupid you play the race baiting victim card that social media loves you know you do something lustful and sinful that they're more than happy to promote like you can sort of see the way that she was led down this path and pushed mm -hmm. and promoted and if you're not smart enough to understand what's happened to you which kids who grow up in a social media world generally aren't um you can just see how you fall victim to something like this and really, I mean, it's going to take a lot to drag her back from this. I just saw that she signed, I mean, a girl who 
she's a women's college basketball player. Nobody otherwise would care about her. But she just signed a $1.4 million NIL deal. She's famous and she's rich now. What incentive would she have to change her her, uh, mode of sort of behaving? Right. Because she was saying how God has blessed her. Yet God doesn't bless us in those ways with that money. Like he doesn't just give you money for living foolishly. Like that's not from God. You can't credit that to God because God doesn't give as the world gives. So who God is in her mind is not the God of the Bible. No, it's man's God. Yeah. Where you're blessed monetarily and yeah. these sort of things. And maybe she goes to church, right? Maybe she goes to Michael Todd's church and he tells her yeah. you know, that you <laughs> know, God is pouring out his blessings on her, but God isn't going to bless your sinfulness. Um, he's not. So, and look, we don't have necessarily the final solution on how to train your kids against this um, world that we live in. I mean, we're really going through it right now with our kids. They're just becoming teenagers. So we're learning this on the fly as well. But the biggest thing is, is it can't be ignored. Um, and it certainly can't be approved of, you know, because Angel Reese, if she does have faith in God, her testimony's damaged, as all of ours would be if we decided to turn our back on God and go seek, you know, fame and fortune by just any means available. And for young women today, it's available. If you're willing to do the, the right things that the world wants you to do, that fame and fortune is there for you. Um, you know, social media, it's a drug. I mean, so many of the kids that are being uh, mm-hmm. led down this transgender path, it's a social media contagion. I mean, we've talked about that many times on here. And this world is just more than happy to ruin your kid's life, destroy their mm-hmm. faith, just to make some ad dollars, right? These companies don't care mm-hmm. about Angel Reese. She'll make them money for now, and if things fall apart, they'll find the next Angel Reese. There's always the next Angel Reese. So just consider Angel Reese. If you don't know anything about her, just consider her story as a cautionary tale of really what can happen. And it can happen quickly if we don't protect our children and instruct our children of these dangers that await them. Because this all happened to Angel Reese in two months' time. I mean, two months ago, she was a college basketball player that nobody even knew of. You know, and her life is really just in an instant changed so mm-hmm. pray for angel reese i reached out to her on twitter told her she needs to repent for the sports illustrated and turn back to god repent for what you know she's been led into we're all guilty of our own sins but um pray for her and pray for all women like this really and pray for your kids that they don't get lost in this sort of immoral and i would say abusive culture yeah. and then just really protect your kids from walking this same wide path don't just let them have free access to social media if they have any access at all. Um, guard them, guard that, because the world is waiting for them. Uh, they're more than happy to destroy their lives like they've just done to Angel Reese. So The world pretends to care. Yeah, the they world is not. telling her she's just made the best decision of her life. I mean, who are you to tell her? She's got a million dollars in the bank. There is so much affirming of wickedness, and it's dangerous. It's so twisted. It's everywhere. So do you have any final thoughts on Angel Reese, on Trump, Biden, the royal family, um, the godless governor in Washington, before we move on to our Bible topic? Let's move on. 
The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career USBP. All right. <laughs> we don't want to do it, but we have to do it. On to Christian nationalism, um, which seems to be sort of the favorite topic of many of the Christian talking heads around the country, at least it has been for the last few months. And I recently saw this draft um, statement on Christian nationalism, in which while I was looking around for this, because I heard about it and I went looking for it, I found the Christians against Christian nationalism statement. And then I think I even found something that we're probably not going to have time to get into, but sort of the alternative, you know, the Christian alternative to Christian nationalism. So, you know, everyone's got a niche now. It's a lot. To take on the Christian nationalism. So I just want to go through this statement on Christian nationalism and then, you know, make comments on the points that it gives in here. And then mm-hmm. we'll also um, go through and look at the uh, the statement against Christian nationalism. Like I said, we're probably not going to have time for the alternative view of Christian nationalism. We may get into that next week. We'll see what the world throws at us. But we will go first to the statement on Christian nationalism. So there's a lot to get to. Bear with us. Um, I think it's worth discussing So do you want to, well, I'll just say here first, it does mention who authored this statement, and it says down here, Dusty Deavers and James Silberman. Dusty Deavers sounds somewhat familiar. I don't know who Silberman is. And then it talks about the contributing editors. I know William Wolf, just from Twitter, and um, that's the only other name that I'm familiar with in here. But do you want to go ahead and give their definition of what Christian nationalism is? Christian nationalism is a set of governing principles rooted in Scripture's teaching on Christ's rule as supreme Lord and King of all creation, who has ordained civil magistrates with delegated authority to be under him over the people to order their ordained jurisdiction by punishing evil in promoting good for his own glory in the common good of the nation. Yep, so that is their definition of Christian nationalism. Now, there's undoubtedly many different definitions of what Christian nationalism is. So um, if you don't like this one, uh, well, it's not ours. So you can take it up with James Silberman and Dusty Deavers. Or go and find your own definition. I'm sure there's plenty to (laughs) to find. So I think, you know, as far as that definition there, I don't necessarily disagree with, you know, all of it. You know, Christ's lordship, um, like God's law, I mean, it's for all people. Mm -hmm. Christ is lord of everybody. Um, You know, they're all going to bow the knee to him one day. God's law is for everybody. You're going to be judged. We're all going to be judged by the same law. You know, it it does not like, well, you're a believer, so I'll judge you by the law. And all the unbelievers, ah, they didn't care, so I won't care. No, I used to kind of think that. I used to be like, well, what do you expect? You know, they're unbelievers. Um, We shouldn't expect them to follow what's right. And then I heard um, a sermon, I think it was Vody, 
And he was saying the complete opposite of what I always thought. He's like, nope, they're supposed to obey, you know, God's rule as well. They're called to. Yeah. And, you know, we, we should be calling them to repent and to, you know, believe and submit to Christ's lordship and adhere to God's law. Because, again, that's, that's the law. That's what everyone's being judged by. Now, if you're found in Christ, Christ paid the penalty for all of your sins. You're no longer being judged by God's law. You are receiving Christ's righteousness. Um, but all the unbelievers, it's the same law. So <clears throat> it's not just for Christians. And I, you know, I agree with that. So <clears throat> this article here, it goes through and lists 20 points. Um, 20 points, they have things that they affirm and things that they deny about each point. So I'm just going to have Nikki sort of briefly read through the sort of titles of all the 20 points. And then I just have, I have thoughts on most of the uh, points, not all of them. You know, some of them I think just, you know, they are what they say they are. I don't think they warrant any sort of deep discussion. And then we'll get into the statement against at the end here. So do you want to just read the... Uh, the titles of these mm -hmm. 20 points. All right. The source of truth, orthodox Christian faith, the standard of justice, the definition of a nation, the nature of Christ's lordship and kingdom, the identity of civil officials and the source of their authority, the duty of civil authorities, the purpose of civil government, sphere sovereignty, on nationalism and policy priorities, the big, uh, big picture agenda, on the vocation and calling of Christian officials and legislators, the Great Commission, the uses of the law, on the distinction between law and gospel, on civil disobedience, methodology, just war, um, how do you say that again? Ima Imago Day. Imago Day and equal protection. The last one is on neutrality and the separation of church and state. Yeah, so you can probably say a lot about this statement. What you can't say is it was just willy-nilly thrown together. Um, at least what they have here seems to have been very well thought out. Yeah, several um, scriptures for each point, too. Yeah, and that's good to know because we'll have all, you know, this will be linked down below as well if you want to go give it a read. But they do have scriptural references for every point that they make. Now, again, that doesn't mean you're going to agree with their interpretation of scripture. I read through a couple of the scriptural uh, references that they had, and I disagreed with how they used them. Uh, but that was just for one or two points. But again, they are at least, this seems like a well thought out and well put together document of their beliefs. So again, just kind of going through these points here. The first one I wanted to look at was standard of justice, point number three. And I think I certainly agree with what they say here. Um, they say, yeah, right here. We further affirm that every political thought must be taken captive to obey Christ. And then down a little bit further, they say, we deny... Uh, that Christians may embrace any political ideology not rooted in Scripture. And this is something that I've believed, and I think we've talked about on here before, uh, for quite a long time. Uh, 
and not doing this, especially now when we're in such a sinful place in this nation, I think is bizarre. Um, but you know, so many people in this nation, they claim a faith in God, right? 65% or whatever it happens to be, but they apparently do not submit their political beliefs to scripture, right? There are people that have political beliefs and they have religious beliefs. And it seems yeah. like wherever the two conflict more and more, it seems like they're choosing their political beliefs. And this is not Christian in our opinion. You know, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that would mean even political thoughts you take captive to obey Christ. So you may feel a certain way about a political topic, but if it doesn't line up with Christ's teaching and you're a Christian, your original thought doesn't matter anymore. I don't know what they're putting first if they're thinking like, this is for, in their mind, they're probably thinking this is for the good of society. You know, all the arguments, the the victim arguments and... Yeah, it's, um, you know... I don't know what they're thinking if they... I mean, I do think they truly believe that they're being... That they're choosing what Jesus would choose. Well, Jesus sure would have compassion on these people over here that are victims. Um, it, it is It is very strange because a lot of believers who vote backwards to the faith they have an argument it makes sense in their minds and they think it's loving and compassionate the way they vote right and that's um, the whole like they're not know. just straight up saying yeah this isn't godly but i'm gonna vote it anyway like they think it's good yeah i mean i'm sure somewhere in their mind they believe that it's good i mean I, i'm sure they have to um that's just the but arguments I've heard. I just yeah. think it's a belief, and we hear this belief a lot, you know, and it's that Christ is Savior, but he's not Lord, really, where, you know, he saved you, God is love, he loves you, you know, he loves the sinner, he came for sinners, so, like, somehow that just means anything goes. And, you know, now you're not just killing a baby through abortion, but you're, like, fighting against oppressive patriarchy. And somehow that makes it okay, you know, yeah. get your hands off my body, you know. And right. I don't know, it's like a, some weird twisted idea of faith, but I'm sure somewhere in their mind, they believe what they're doing is proper. And again, sadly, they have many pastors and ministers yeah. and reverends that'll line up and tell them it is, you know, the Andy Stanleys of the world, tell them God loves them just as they are. Keep killing the babies and, you know, live in your immoral lifestyles. God loves you. It makes no difference. So, but this point number four here, uh, they say, sorry, I didn't have these um, necessarily. I just pulled certain statements out of them that I wanted to read, and now I'm having a difficult time finding them. Oh, yeah, this is what I wanted to read. Um, they say, we further deny that sovereign nations must be composed of mono-ethnic populations to be united under God. Therefore, as Christian nationalists, we utterly repudiate sinful ethnic partialities in all its various forms. Now, I don't know, I'm not a smart man, but maybe this riles up the sort of pro-racist, race-bait crowd in America. But I agree with this, you know. 
we are the most ethnically and racially diverse nation on the planet. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that that has any real bearing on our status before God. Right. Like, I think our diversity is a wonderful thing. I'm, I like our diversity. But China isn't overly diverse and Christianity's thriving there. I don't think those Christians are secondhand Christians or second rate Christians because they don't have more ethnicities and racial diversity. Do you love God? Do you serve him? Then that's what matters. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like, well, you love God, but you're only 1% Haitian. Really need to see that number up to 6 to 7% before God will love you back. Like, right. No, I think that that's uh, ridiculous. So you show your love for other ethnic groups by sharing the gospel with them. Yeah. That's, so I think I agree with that idea that we can no. deny that somehow we have to have, you know, this multi-ethnic, you know, equally diverse nation to be right before God. I think the only identity that really should matter is our identity we have in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, not that patriotism and love of diversity and all that sort of stuff is bad, but I don't think it makes any sort of difference on your standing before God no. as a people group. You know, God's not looking at our diverse quotas to make sure that <laughs> he'll let us, you know, individually into the kingdom. I don't know if that's like, I'm not that smart on liberation theology, um, but I think that sounds like liberation theology. If you know more about liberation theology, let me know if I'm right or wrong in the comments. But that's sort of that collective salvation ideology where, you know, Christianity, as most Christians would know it, is a individual faith. God saves individual sinners, where I think liberation mm -hmm. theology teaches more of like a collective salvation um, ideology. But let me know if you uh, have any ideas of what I'm talking about and how right or wrong I am. But on to point number five. He says, we deny uh, any theology which would seek to segregate sacred aspects of life where God's word is authoritative and supposedly secular aspects of life where the Christian must operate by a standard other than God's word. Hmm. Uh, I agree with that. The Bible is authoritative over every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And that doesn't change just because an agency or an institution like doesn't want to acknowledge God. You know, this is that idea of like, well, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but on Monday or Saturday night, living just like the world or whatever it happens to be. Um, no, the Bible is authoritative. You're a Christian. You obey Christ at all times, in every situation, and no matter what agency or institution you're a part of, that Christian identity, that's preeminent in your life. We just The fact is, is that humans are wishy-washy. They change. Um, they want to be in authority. They're prideful. They want all the power. So it's never going to go right to just stick with an institution or just the rules of men, what they deem as good and right. Like people just, they would just look at God's laws and way of life and, and really think about it. They would agree. It's good. It is the best way to live. It's good for all men. Yeah. It's just, we all have vices, you know, and it's like, well, I want God to, you know, be there on Sunday as the healer and provider. Yeah. But I don't necessarily want him in my bedroom. You know, that's 
my living with my boyfriend. I don't really want God there or whatever it happens to be. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I need to make money, you know, so if I'm working as a waitress at, I don't know, the strip club, I don't want God in my financial decision, you know, or whatever it happens to be. We have our vices, we have our idols that we don't want God to be a part of. But as a Christian, there is no separation between a sec. There is no secular and Christian life. It is mm-hmm. just a Christian life. Yeah. And God and his word is authoritative over all of it. Yeah. On to point number six. And again, I don't have point. I'm not talking about every point here, just a lot of them. So point number six here with the part I wanted to read, he says, we deny the authority of civil officials and documents to contradict what God has said in his word or to govern beyond the bounds God's word has established for them. And Mm. I think this one gets a little bit sketchy for me. Um, You know, I think it's probably even unbiblical. I think because what they're saying, it sounds like to me, is kind of denying the authority of civil officials who contradict God's word. And I could be wrong here. Again, please let me know in the comments um, or send us an email. We'll have our email listed in the show notes. But, you know, the book of Daniel, I think, is such a great study in how to operate properly under the authority of ungodly rulers. You know, so often we think of Daniel as kind of the end times prophecy book. And it is that for sure. But really, it's a great study in how to be a godly man in an ungodly world. And you know, you see Daniel, he's a good citizen. He submits to their authority until it pits you against God's authority. Mm. And then he stands with God, but he lets the chips fall where he, where they may, right? He's not some rabble rouser, rioter. Mm-hmm. He, I just simply can't, I'm not bowing to your idol, you know, yeah. well, you're going in the lion's den to the lion's den then. But that one was just so clear. It was literally about worshiping your God or not. I think what came to my mind when reading that uh, this was, well, just the prayer request article we brought up with the government coming in and being the parent to your child. Instead of scripture saying, parents train their children in the way they should go. Um, right. So they are overstepping scripture there. That's just, I don't know. That's what popped in my head. Yeah, and that could be more of what they they mean. Yeah, you know, because when I read it and it says, you know, um, we're denying the authority of civil officials and documents to contradict what God has said. You know, I don't know. That just seems like a stretch to me. I mean, because that could mean anything. Yeah, to the extent of we're going to take your kids away from you. Okay, yes, uh, that's maybe a bridge too far, but... I guess whatever they, the scriptures they cited... Um, well, you know, they got Romans 13 down there, of course. and um, But I just don't think that simply because something contradicts God's word, um, that gives us necessarily a right to be completely belligerent. You know, it's like, well, they support, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood with our tax dollars. I'm no longer paying taxes. Right. Like, no, I mean, I understand your argument, fight against it, but like you're to be a good citizen but, by and large until it's making you necessarily choose between God and government. But what would you do? That example I brought up, if it was your kid, 
would you go against their authority and go well, find course, your kid yes. and snatch them back? And I think in that situation, that's a Daniel in the lion's den situation. That's a, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, I'm, you're not touching my kids and I'm going to probably even physically defend them yeah. as best I can. But, yeah. you know, ultimately, if they get taken from me, you know, I'm not going to just give the kid over to the government. Like, oh, well, he's yours then, you know, good luck, Timmy. You know, I'll fight and I, you know, accept right. the consequences or whatever happens to be. Um, you know, push back, stand as long as you can and accept the consequences. But in the, maybe that's an extreme example. You know, they're going to take your kids from you. And um, But I think on because, you know, we live in a country now, right, that isn't necessarily governed godly with a lot of the rules um, that we have. And, you know, maybe you're listening to this and you live in a place like Australia, who by and large just dismissed God outright or whatever happens to be. You know, it's not a Christian's responsibility, in my opinion, to be, you know, the rabble rouser, rioter, um, belligerent citizen. We're to be good citizens and, you know, mm-hmm. we're to suffer joyfully for God. And, we're supposed to live quiet, peaceable lives. <laughs> but again, yeah, I mean, if it gets in your face, you know, then they drag you before Nebuchadnezzar or whatever to bow down or worship his idol or you don't do it. Yeah, you stand against it as long as you can. You accept the consequences. Um, But, you know, what's amazing is Daniel comes out of that situation. You know, Shadrach and them, they come out of the fiery furnace. You don't hear that they're leading a revolt against the Babylonian authorities. Mm -hmm. I mean, they get, don't they even get like, I'm forgetting my book of Daniel, but don't they even get put into positions of authority? Mm -hmm. You know, Daniel gets put into positions of authority. Uh, you know, even the stuff with the dietary restrictions. Hey, we don't eat the way you eat. Can we eat in a way that honors our God? And I mean, they they took a chance, right? They stood for their Jewish laws and rules around eating. And, you know, it benefited them and stuff. But and then even Daniel, right? They same thing with Joseph. That's a great example of how to be a, a godly mm-hmm. person in a godless world, you know, because he thrown in, you know, be sold as a slave, accused of sexual, you know, misconduct. But eventually God, you know, blesses him and he becomes a good citizen, you know, a leader and ruler in the land. You know, he wasn't just some bad actor, you know. So I think that that number six there sketches me out a little bit where it talks about we don't have to obey governments if there were or if their laws don't perfectly line up with god's word yeah i guess i need I to know exactly where stretch. they're drawn the line but let us know in the comments what you think send us an email i want to know if i'm wrong um i don't want to be wrong on these points so next one here that we have number seven Ooh, they say we affirm that civil authorities let me see how i can highlight it for those of you watching on youtube or rumble we affirm that civil authorities must ensure that the church shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of discharging every part of their sacred function without violence or danger. And, you know, this to me sounds like a nice dream to have, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. the governments, you know, they're ensuring that we just have this full, free, bliss-filled peaceful Christian existence. Sounds wonderful. 
but have you read the Bible? <laughs> That's basically never existed in the history of Christianity, Judaism, right? right? It's something we should desire for sure. And I think we should pray for, um, as Nikki talked about, we're commanded to pray that we would live quiet and peaceable lives. Um, but Christ also told us we would be hated, that we'd be delivered up to prisons and persecuted. So I just wouldn't stake my claim or really make a bold claim here on point number seven. I just don't think it's biblical in any sense to really even hope or think that that's possible. I just don't think it is. Yeah, without violence or danger. So if you're going to like, I mean, just in light of the number six, if you're doing something to upset um, authorities because you think they're contradicting scripture, well, then you're putting them in a situation where there's going to be violence or danger between you and them. Yeah, like, and I don't think necessarily that this is something you shouldn't hope for, pray for or even work towards. God bless you. Go for it. I'd love to live in that civilization. You know, it's the same way if I go and play basketball with the Los Angeles Lakers. I hope I'm going to be the best player on the team. <laughs> I'm going to score the most points. But if I'm being realistic, probably not going to go well for me, right? Um, so I think this is a fine thing to hope for, pray for. And even, you know, when you're voting and doing, vote for but also in your mind realize it's just not going to be the case. And maybe we'll have brief respites of it. And America has at times had respites where it's been a blessing to be a Christian in this nation. Mm -hmm. But again, those times won't last. I think the Bible is abundantly clear on that. So it's a nice dream. But again, I wouldn't stake my life on point number seven there. But moving along, point number 10, we're skipping a few points here. Yeah, so he says, we affirm that nations possess an inviolable, I can say this word. Oh, wait, no. I think I'm reading too much of it. Yeah, right here. We affirm that these specific short-term priorities of Christian nationalism in the context of the United States are repentance and faith, which lead to the abolition of abortion, the defeat of the LGBTQ agenda, Various insanities and coercions, placing parents in control of education, caring for widows and orphans, and de-weaponizing the federal and state bureaucracies which target Christians for censorship and persecution, securing our borders, recapturing our national sovereignty from godless global entity entities who present a grave threat to civilizations like the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, etc., and exercising far more restraint in American international military intervention and adventurism in overseas democracy building. And, I mean, that's a lot of points, a lot of things to discuss there. Um, but I like all these points that they kind of mention, and I would love to see America move in this direction. <laughs> but I think of all the things that I read there, I like that they stated their short-term priority for Christian nationalism was repentance and faith. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, kind of the idea being, if we were a nation that submitted to, or that repented and submitted to faith in Christ, it would naturally lead into these other things happening, like um, 
abolishing abortion. That would be just a byproduct of repentance and faith and so many of these other, you know, things that they talk about. So I don't necessarily object to those points. I would love that we'd be a nation that would repent, put our faith in Christ and see the benefit of a nation and a people group that submit their lives to Christ's authority Mm and God's word. I would love to see that. And they also say in here, do you want to read this point, honey? So I don't have to do all that stupid talking. (laughs) People I'm sure are sick of hearing my voice already. Um, Right here. Yeah. Uh, We deny that the sin of racism has any place in the church of Jesus Christ or in a nation that seeks to honor him. Yeah. And we absolutely agree with that. And I think it's important to state that, you know, that's probably something you have to put in here um, that. I mean, it should be, well, I shouldn't say that. It should be abundantly clear that Christianity is not a faith that supports racism. Right. But sadly, people in times gone by have twisted scripture to support racism. The left and the godless left still tries to actively support that idea. But I think it's good to just make that point clear. Even in light of the fact that in one of the earlier points, they talk about we don't need to be some multi-ethnic overly diverse nation to have right standing before God. So I think it's important to go, but also we're not saying we hate other races, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're not racist. You, you just to. don't think you have to be overly diverse. So I think it's important to put in there um, for whatever it's worth. Moving along. Point number 12. Um, you want to read this point? We affirm that in God's ordinary providence, he works in the world by his grace through the Holy Spirit, through human means, to glorify himself in extending the mediatorial, am I saying that right? Yeah, media. Mediatorial. Mediatorial. uh, Rule of Christ by calling to and gifting Christians for vocation to rule according to his word in civil government. Yeah, and... You know, again, here's a a point that I had an issue with. Um, I'm not sure how they came to this point that it's necessarily God's will or desire that Christians rule in civil government. Um, Again, I'm not opposed to Christians ruling in civil government, but I think it's a stretch to say that it's God's will that Christians sort of rule in these political institutions. Because I don't think scripture bears that out. And this is the one where I went and looked up some of their scripture references and I just don't think that they uh, fit the bill necessarily. Yeah, when I read that point, that paragraph, it just made me think of those Christians who are all about the, what's it called? The seven... Seven mountain mandates mountain or something. mandates, mountains of influence. Or yeah, maybe seven mountains um, of influence. Yeah, mountains of influence. The It's called Christian dominionism theology. I think that's what it's called. Um, that's what it made this one made me think of. Yeah, like maybe the political realm or something is one of those. Uh, Just in all the main or, places of influence. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't agree with that. I don't um, think it's biblical that it's God's will because God is sovereign. If it was his will, Christians would rule. <laughs> you know? But I agree so, with the part that through human means, though. I mean, through our prayer and through our actions, because faith without works is dead. You don't just pray. You know, we we vote. <laughs> right. And everything, too. 
So God is sovereign, but he works through men, through our prayers and our, our actions, which prove our faith. Yeah. Again, I would love it. I hope for it and I pray for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think it's overly biblical that that's something God's determining, at least, you know, this side of heaven. So moving They did make a point in well, when I was listening to... Never mind. No I'm God. sorry. The... I think it was part of the G3 conference, how um, it's, I think I'm losing my thought here. (laughs) Um, Christian rule, G3 conference. um, Yeah, I think I just lost my thought. What did they say? I know, know. I'll think of it. Sorry. We'll keep this thing moving. (laughs) I didn't mean to interrupt you. (laughs) How dare you? Sorry. Yeah, so he says, we affirm... That Christ's commissioning of his church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded, includes civil authorities who are to be called to repentance, faith, and obedience in Christ. I remember it now. All right, go ahead. (laughs) Well, he was saying, I can't remember who was saying it, but it was about um, your view of eschatology on some of these, you know, the whole dominionism theology and i don't know if that's what is it post-millennialism yeah where it's Um, that theology of you know christian sort of increasing up until the time of the lord so i'm sure your eschatology plays a large part in your belief on this right Um, and if you're not a post-millennial you probably don't necessarily agree with this a ton so but yeah i just wanted to throw it in there it's an end times view she just wanted it. to say eschatology. <laughs> All right. But there was one other point on this. They said, we deny that there is any sphere of life in which the command to teach them to obey all that I've commanded does not apply, including politics and government. And, you know, like many other points, I agree here. Uh, the Great Commission doesn't exclude political leaders. And in fact, we do see this very thing play out. You know, it made me think of Paul's ministry. Uh, in Acts 26, you read of Paul before King Agrippa, and he shares his testimony in Acts 26, verse 29. Paul said, whether short or long, speaking about, you know, his life and testimony, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. You know, so Paul there saying, Yeah, King Agrippa, I wish that you would become a Christian like me. So we should wish that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Great Commission doesn't stop because the person is in some authority position. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in fact, we should pray and seek opportunities to present and share the gospel with leaders. Uh, I think that's a a great aspiration to have. Never pass up an opportunity. You know, that was... When I filed my religious accommodation in the military, that was one of the things I thought of. I was like, I'm never going to have a chance to necessarily share the gospel or my faith with a, you know, three or four star general in the military. But I do now. They're going to read my statement. What a great opportunity, right? So got a chance to write a couple paragraphs about your faith in Christ. So I don't think we should poo-poo this idea. We should be in favor of it and we should... You know, reach out to Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, and tell him to repent and believe. You know, I think he needs to hear it. So point number 15 here. 
Do you want to read this point, honey? We affirm that living in a Christian nation oriented toward the true and the eternal provides cultural conditions conducive to the spread of the gospel for salvation, the perpetuation and thriving of the family, the preservation and advancement of the Christian church, and the abundance of common grace to the unbelieving. I agree with that. Yeah, and it is nice in this point, um, if you read through up here, um, if you're watching on the video, if you're just uh, listen to the podcast, point number 15, it is nice that they sort of lay out a gospel presentation in this point. So mm-hmm. whoever's reading it, they get a, I think, a five-point gospel message up here. You know, we're all created, um, or God created all things. He's perfect and holy. All men were created for God's glory. We've sinned and fallen short. So they kind of go through and lay out a gospel message, which is really nice. Um, although I would agree and disagree, I think, with kind of what Nikki read here, that um, living in a Christian nation oriented towards um, true and eternal provides conditions conducive to the spread of the gospel. Uh, I think, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, Christianity really thrives in persecution. And, you know, we see the gospel and faith in Christ dwindling in this nation, which is much more conducive to the spread of the gospel. And we see it thriving in places like China and Africa, where it's much more difficult to share the gospel and persecution is much more prevalent. So I don't know that this statement is necessarily true, but I guess, you know, maybe it's, they're true in both sense. I don't know. I just think of like all the public schools, they, they teachers can't initiate discussions about God or prayer and they're not taught. They're not even taught about God. So I think in that uh, respect, um, yeah, maybe this is a little true and a little false in both respects. Although I do agree, you know, with the point that, you know, it it does work that perpetuation and thriving of the family. Yes, I mean, in a Christian nation, that's going to be, uh, I guess, thrive a little bit better. Um, because God moves through human means, so if that's being um, rejected, the truth, and then the gospel is not going to go forth. Like, I know it thrives in persecution, but at the same time, he works through human means. Yeah, I think, I think both can be true on that point. Because we, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let us know in the comments what you think. <laughs> Um, but I do think Christianity does tend to thrive well in persecution. So, so we don't pray for persecution so that the gospel will spread. No, no, we certainly don't. We pray for the good of all people, but for their salvation too. But God will save them through any means, through the plans of wicked men. He uses it all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, God works through any and all means. Um, they say here on point number 16, and again, well, in this point as well, gives me some pause here. Uh, they say, we affirm that categorical opposition to civil disobedience is idolatry to or idolatry of the state. 
we affirm that civil disobedience is the proper Christian response to civil dictates, which, and then they go on to list five points. And I think it would be very important for them to define what they mean by civil disobedience. Because if it simply means you don't take the mark of the beast, (laughs) but you just accept what comes your way as punishment, then I'm okay with that. I would agree. But if what they mean is a January, you know, 6th type of storm the Capitol in civil disobedience, then I would certainly disagree with that and say they're incorrect. Um, As we've mentioned on this episode and many others, Christians are not rioters. We're not destroyers. Again, the book of Daniel is a great template, I think, of how we should behave in a godless country, which we are, I think. So if your civil disobedience looks like Daniel, then I'm on board. Otherwise, I think I'm out with them on point 16 here because we shouldn't be uh, defaming our Lord and our Savior um, through rioting and other sinful acts. Um, And then the last point that we wanted to mention here, point number 20. They say, we affirm, well, do you want to read this point? Sure. We affirm that the church and the state each possess their own sovereign sphere of influence. For example, church officials ought not to write or enforce civil laws in their capacity as church officials, and civil officials ought not to administer ordinances or dictate doctrine in their capacity as civil officials. We deny that the separation between the church's sphere of authority and that of the state means there must be a separation of the Christian worldview and the state. Yeah, and then the very last sentence of this, I think, says, the question is not whether morality and religion will influence law, but whose morality and religion will influence law. Right. And I think that's a great sentence to end on. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think this is true, you know, and I think those who advocate strongly for this, like, separation of church and state, and really by that meaning the Christian church doesn't influence government. Right. You know, their religion is going to influence it, though. They don't want to call what they believe religion, but it it is. It absolutely is. And I think that's the point. Like, they're perfectly okay with secular humanist religion influencing the state. <clears throat> they're even fine with, you know, Islam in, you know, some places influencing the state. We just saw this in Minnesota, where they're starting to give their call to prayers five times a day over, like, the city loudspeakers. Um, so they're okay with hmm. that. You know, so we should be against this faulty idea that Christians and our beliefs should stay out of public policy. That wasn't the founder's intent. And, you know, we shouldn't be so blind as to not see that religion is being advocated. Um, And if we stay, you know, we stay silent, we're really just subjugating ourselves to anti-Christ worldview and policies. So Christians have just as much right to affect policy outcomes and election outcomes as any other group, and we really should be working to do just that. You know, we shouldn't just Mm -hmm. be like, well, it's not our place, or some atheist told me separation of church and state, so I believed him. (laughs) All the while, he's, you know, making sure that they pass laws to murder their children up until birth, right? That's not the case. It's never been the case. We have every bit, and we should be advocating for And like we've talked about much in this document, we should be advocating, I think, for some of these things. We want Christian leaders. We want them to, you know, 
make laws that adhere to God's law. You know, that's good for us. It's good for everybody, not just Christians. Um, so we shouldn't just stay silent, you know, because this lie of that somehow Christians and, you know, religious folks shouldn't be influencing policy. They should be. Um, so that's just, you know, many of the points, I guess, from the, the statement on Christian nationalism. We'd love to know what you guys think on Christian nationalism. Again, please let us know in the comments. Send us an email if you're on social media. Um, let us know there as well. And, you know, while you're down there, leaving comments and such, don't forget to hit that like button. Uh, we would certainly appreciate it. Maybe if you're on the podcast again, consider subscribing, following. And if you haven't already, leave us a nice five-star review because we have to suffer through reading through things like Christian nationalism, <laughs> though we don't want to. Um, but in fairness, we do want to take some time to look at the statement against Christian nationalism. And thankfully, it's a lot shorter, so it shouldn't take us quite as long to get through. But um, this one, they do give a definition here as well for Christian nationalism. I'm not, not going to read it, but you can um, read through that if you want as well. It says down here, Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. And right away, I was like, right from the jump, right? This yeah. isn't going well. Um, maybe you can kind of see where they're going with this statement. But America is not and never has been a constitutional democracy. <laughs> uh, they are a constitutional republic. And I think this is a willful, purposeful um, distortion of America. Uh, so right off the bat, not good. Rough way to start, but we'll continue. They say down here, It often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. <laughs> and, uh, oh, brother, right? You can see basically, and you can kind of mm -hmm. guess who wrote this. And they're maybe at best progressive sort of pseudo-Christians, if you want to call them that. And maybe at worst and maybe more actually, they're just kind of your run-of-the-mill, like, anti-God, anti-religious liberals, because um, that's just a just a terrible <laughs> pull out of nowhere talking point. Um, yeah. And then they go through here. We're not going to read all these. Um, this document's terrible and not terribly well thought out. But this very last point I do want to read here. They say, well, do you want to read that point, honey? We must stand up to and speak out against Christian nationalism, especially when it inspires acts of violence and intimidation, including vandalism, bomb threats, arson, hate crimes, and attacks on houses of worship against religious communities at home and abroad. <laughs> what? Uh, so obviously, you know, this statement against Christian nationalism is complete nonsense. Uh, you know, yes. it's worth about as much as an Andy Stanley Bible commentary, right? Uh, not worth <laughs> anything at all. But I did want to just take a look here at, they do offer up who the endorsers are of this. And you can go and see who endorsed this 
wonderful document here. And going through, you can see, you know, a bunch of liberal women. Um, got our, you know, Who's that? female bishop sorts. <laughs> and, but then all the way down at the very bottom, endorsed here by uh, Jim Wallace, <laughs> uh, the president and founder. And um, you guys may know Jim Wallace. He's a so-called progressive theologian. He served on Barack Obama's Council on Faith, and he's the author of such wonderful works in Christian theology as America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and the Bridge to the New America. So, um, you know, I'm actually kind of glad that I read through that statement because we have discussed Christian nationalism on this show before. Uh, I think last year, maybe sometime, um, we discussed Christian nationalism. And back then, when we did the podcast, it was actually known as white Christian nationalism. That's kind of how they determined it. It's good that we know the the two definitions of this. Yeah. And yeah, um, I had the original article. Let me see if I can... So here's our original episode. You guys can go give that a listen. It's on the channel. But in the show notes, I can pull it up. We actually had the uh, original article that we discussed here from CNN on what Christian nationalism was then, July 24th of 2022. And they list three sort of points or identifiers of Christian nationalism. And back then, Christian nationalism or white Christian nationalism meant a belief that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation. Point number two was that you believed a warrior Christ. And point number three was a belief there's such person as a real American. (laughs) So, you know, just less than a year ago, right? Back when it was simple, um, you know? And I think back then it was simple to kind of get behind this idea of, you know, what they called white Christian nationalism, but Christian nationalism. And I think even at the time we were like, I guess I'm a Christian nationalist then um, because I agree with those points, you know? And Mm -hmm. that was back in simpler times. Remember those simpler times back in July of 2022? Times... Sure change quickly. But now, in 2023, we've got 20-point statements to sift through. You know, we got arguments, counter-arguments. So, in less than a year, everything's changed, right? If only we could go back to those simpler times, like the summer of 2022. Um, And then, you know, as we mentioned, we're not going to have time to get into, but we have things also to consider, like uh, Christian faithfulness, which is this uh, alternative to Christian nationalism now. We may get into that again, but um, we don't know if we'll necessarily have time next week. See what pops up in the news. But my whole point on all of this, the whole reason I wanted to discuss this again, because we have talked about it before, I am just amazed that so many, you know, Christian intellectuals, if you will, or, you know, in that sort of intellectual space, that they've given room for this topic to grow. Because this whole debate 
even back in 2022, right, with this white Christian nationalist, uh, nationalism thing, it just has the distinct feeling of the godless left, you know, doing to Christendom what they do to really every sphere of our society. They sort of arbitrarily, like, broad brush or, you know, broadly define some really intricate, nuanced idea that really should be more open to, like, a gentlemanly debate. Um, you know, like, hey, what's the role of Christians in the Christian church in America? That's a pretty nuanced, you know, intricate debate. But they just broad brush it, right? They claim some sort of ism to label it with. And then they just let the normal people kind of fight amongst themselves while they just continue to drag our nation closer to Satan's doorstep. It's very typical. And that's why it has that feel to me. You know, it's the same way I feel like you can say that they did this sort of progressive left broad brushed everything is racism or everything's racist. Everybody's racist now. You know, if, if you dislike hip hop music and hip hop culture, well, you're a racist, right? It's just simple. If you speak against baby mama culture, you're a racist. Just that simple, right? If you even dislike your minority neighbor's political views, you're a racist, you know, uh, they do away completely with nuance and they just broad brush everyone because it's really easy to hate a racist. You probably should hate racists, right? That seems natural. Although Christians shouldn't hate racists, we should pray for them. But it's far more difficult and it takes more time and understanding to figure out why someone may speak against something like baby mama culture or hip hop culture. That takes nuance, right? You have to actually flush out a discussion. But if you just go, ah, they're a racist, ignore them and hate them. That's a whole lot easier. And it gives into our sinful side a lot more. So, and it's not even just racism, right? It's in a lot of areas. You know, if you have a problem with anything nowadays that a woman does, it's sexist or you're a misogynist, right? It's the patriarchy or whatever stupid label they put on it. If you don't like anything in the LGBTQ community, you know, it's bigotry. You're mm -hmm. a transphobe today. Um, there's no nuance left, right? So then all the normal people, all us normies, we stand around, you know, and we're yelling at each other like, I'm not a racist, you're a racist. And then, oh, I saw that guy who just called me a racist said something that I can call him a racist for. And now we're having these idiotic arguments, you know, where we're just being complete fools. The left is just laughing at us. Um, Again, as they continue to inflict this nation with more godless influence, because we're just, I don't know, maybe we're just too simple-minded, we're too short-sighted, or maybe just too many of us are unaware of the times that we're living in. You know, we're unaware of the, the world that's around us. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't recognize the game that's being run on us, but I think a game's being run on us here with Christian nationalism. Um, and I don't mean to necessarily be rude to anybody. I'm not trying to point out anybody specifically as being simple-minded or anything of that sort. Um, but this whole debate around Christian nationalism, it seems so stupid to me that we would spend our time discussing this topic, you know, arguing amongst each other as believers. Mm -hmm. Like, think of the world we're in right now. The godless left is still murdering children in the womb, they're still trans in our children. They're still mutilating their genitals. They're still 
working to destroy the nuclear family. They're pushing drugs, homelessness on our communities. All this is still going on. And we're over here in the corner arguing about what's the right amount of love for country and love for God that we're allowed to have. That's the argument we're having right now. Like how ridiculous. We got smart, godly men and women and influential or influential godly men and women who are wasting their time, as far as I'm concerned, on this leftist argument on what's the appropriate amount of love for God and love for country. Are you loving country too much? Well, you're an idiot and I only love God and I want to be ruled by godless atheists and you want Christian rulers. So like, this is the argument we're having, right? You want to know why we're losing in this country and the faith is slipping away from us? Because we don't understand the fight we're in. So really, this whole discussion irritates me, which is why reading through this 20 point uh, statement on it was, you know, nails on a chalkboard. It just drove me nuts. But it did seem fitting that we would be talking about it this week, because as we came back and we went to our Wednesday Bible study, um, and also we would just lift up thank you and prayers if you've been praying that we'd find a good church. We found a great church as far as we're concerned. So we're very blessed to be there. But on Wednesday nights, we're going through a study on the fundamentals of the faith. It's like a 13-week study. And it just so happened that this week was a discussion on unity in the body. That was the topic we discussed. And I was like, boy, is that fitting that we'd be talking about that this week. And just, you know, among many places in the Bible, but over and over again, Paul really especially discusses the importance of maintaining the unity in the body of Christ. You know, he talks about separation from sin and heresy and unity amongst believers. Yet in the church today, it seems like where we find ourselves, we're doing everything we can to build unity with sin and heresy, Mm -hmm. and we're separating from the body of believers. Like we have it completely backwards in Mm -hmm. our society today. And this is what I think this Christian nationalism argument is. And it's driving me crazy to see people you know, spend their time and have arguments when really we should be focusing our attention on the real problem at hand. So all that to say, right, we talked about Christian nationalism last year, we're talking about it this year. My thoughts on Christian nationalism is, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care about it at all. Uh, I certainly have my thoughts on the topic. Mm -hmm. But like, we have real battles going on here. We have a real enemy or enemy that seems to be ramping up his attacks on this nation. They don't seem to be dying down anywhere. And we have a church, more importantly, that seems to be losing its footing on really like fundamental bedrock issues, salvation issues. And again, we're over here arguing about a narrative made up from a group of people that hate God and us. They fed us an argument and we're arguing about it while they're destroying the country, ruining our kids' lives and destroying the faith you know, leading people to the wide road. It's just, we're wasting our time on discussions like this. Um, And really, I think the influential, the smart people, they're wasting their thoughts and their influence Mm -hmm. on those who really could be a unifying voice to sort of fight this cultural and spiritual rot going on that seems to be spreading everywhere. I mean, we talked about Washington today. Boy, we should have a unified voice speaking against that. Instead, we got brother and sister bickering against brother and sister on 
this made up Christian nationalism notion. It's just, it's infuriating. So I don't know if you have any, what do you think about Christian nationalism? I mean, I know you've thought on it way more than I have. I wish I I didn't really understand exactly what it was because I don't, I know we talked about it a little a year ago, but. And we shouldn't understand it because it's idiotic. Yeah. I didn't know how much more. I don't know. It's been discussed and broken down. You're like, wait, so I, I'm in trouble because I love God. I love my country and I want to live in a Christian nation. Right. Yes. You're yeah. the problem. You're like, okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was a problem. I guess I didn't see what a problem uh, some people think it is. Um, but then again, you read through the points and you're like, you're kind of stretching it there, right? Like, yeah, let's walk that back a bit. So. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I want to go through and actually look at all. No, you don't. There's scripture references, though. Well, yeah, maybe. I I guess that would be. I think that would take a while, but. It's interesting. I think it's something we do need to um, understand there. I guess we know the other side, but the for it, I want to understand where they're coming from. I think it's it is going to divide the church. I think it's important that we... I just think we got to be wise to the game that's being run on us. Yeah. Like, we can't just be this quick to... You know, again, it's the racism argument, right? If we hate when they label everything racism, then you can't sit there and go, oh, see, you're a racist. That guy did rate... You can't be that person. You can't play the game, yeah. They don't care like you think they do. They're perfectly fine, you know, making up lies. I mean, they're... They're godless people. They don't care about lying and labeling and telling untruths. And these, so we can't get into the mud with them and think that somehow we're still being righteous. And um, I will say to this end, I guess it is nice that along the way they dropped the white from the Christian nationalism <laughs> uh, argument here. And I don't know if it's because maybe they saw that this could, you know, it was causing more damage than just the race baiting crowd. They maybe kind of realize, like, this is kind of causing division amongst all Christians. Let's just drop the white part off of it. So even the minorities can argue about this, too, right? Yeah. Um, So maybe they had a, you know, a smart game plan there. But my suggestion for this Christian nationalism idea is if you want to discuss the proper role for Christians or your church in the government, do that at church. You know, do that among the body of believers and, you know, ensure that you're speaking about unity at the same time, that you're not dividing over this stuff. But in public, you know, let's unify and speak against the many real heresies and the many real godless policies that are being brought on America. Mm-hmm. Let's try to flip this back the right way, where it's unity in the body, separation from sin and heresy. Um, let's get back on the right track with that. And Try to have a unified voice. And these are important topics to discuss. Mm-hmm. We should talk about them. Your pastors and elders should be discussing these things. I think if it's important to you, they should be talking about it from a biblical perspective. But to prove ourselves the fool on a national stage, I don't think it does us any good. And it doesn't strengthen our you know, our voice and our message to a lost and dying world when we're over here bickering amongst each other right. over some made-up narrative. Um, I just don't think it does us any good. I think we're losing time and time is precious now. So um, 
that's my thoughts on Christian nationalism. Hopefully, we won't have to talk about this topic anymore. Although I do like talking about this more than the royal family, I'll tell you that. Um, but do you have any final thoughts here at all on Christian nationalism, the discussions on the news stories that we've had? Is there a burning thought on Donald Trump that you just have to get off your chest today? No. Good, because neither do yeah. I. Let's get into our sermon recommendation here. And for our sermon recommendation, we're going to have three recommendations, but they're part of a series, and they're relatively short. And they're from um, John Piper in his sort of Desiring God, I guess, YouTube channel here. But if you've never watched these, and it looks kind of like a, a mess of stuff on the screen, but what he does is he basically walks through his sort of study and kind of exegesis on a, a scripture, a given scripture. And he does it on a Psalm 133 here. And it's in the theme of unity is, you know, unity in the church kind of. And he looks at it from three points of view. So he talks about, and that's why it's broken down in three sections here. Verse number one is the first video. Verse number two is the second video. Verse three is the third video. So they're all about 10 to 13 minutes long or so, but it's just important topic. And it's nice to see really somebody kind of show you the way they look at scripture and break down um, to get to the real root meaning of what, you know, the psalmist here, for instance, is trying to tell us. So it's good. Go give it a listen. If you don't really like John Piper, then maybe even just watch it and consider the way he, um, you know, dissects scripture to find, you know, the the meaning or the root of what he's trying to get to. So I think it's a good instructional tool there as well. But otherwise, uh, we didn't get to knowing sin this week. Uh, we had too much to discuss on Christian nationalism, but we will continue to try to get to that. We know it's important. Um, but other than that, we'll see what the world has for us next week in the news. And uh, we'll be back Monday with our daily devotionals. Come give those a listen. They're only about five minutes long. And otherwise, talk to you again next Saturday. God bless. Mm -hmm.